You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, well, uh, welcome everybody. If you want to just have a seat, want to welcome those joining us online uh, again today. If you want to just let us know that you're with us online, that would be great. Uh, if you're uh, just trying to uh, figure out where you should come to church, we'd love to meet you here uh, someday soon. Or if uh, you're from a different community, we just encourage you to find a, a church in your local community. Well, we, uh, we are so thankful um, uh, for this time together this morning, uh, th- to just gather together is such a um, a gift from God, and uh, you know one of the one of the things that we get to do uh, once a year as men is an event called Free Indeed, and uh, it's going to be happening in a few weeks, men. Now I know for us we kind of like you know we we don't look past Sunday, okay, but. May 15th, okay, is coming one week from today. The, um, it'll be your last opportunity to reserve a room at the, at the uh, group rates that we have in Golden. So why put it off any longer, okay? Just go ahead and register if you are planning on coming. Uh, if you're not planning on coming, plan on coming now, okay? So uh, it's, gonna be, it's worth your time, guys. I just want to say that. Uh, every time we gather in that way, we're going to have churches, about eight different churches represented uh, from GCC. And uh, so really uh, going to be a great time together, just worshiping the Lord. And, and I just want to encourage you guys uh, that are coming, come with expectation. We serve a great God and we believe that he wants to make us more like him. And so um, I'm just really believing that God was to use that event towards that end as we kind of build some uh, relationships together. Well, we are in Genesis, and we've been learning about this guy by the name of Abram. Uh, he, uh, unlike, uh, not unlike many of you here this morning, was called by God. He was walking in sin and idolatry, and he was called by God to follow him. And we see him respond with great faith. He's told to go to the land that the Lord would show him, and uh, he does that. Not knowing exactly where he's going, but he trusts in the Lord. And, and we see him as he gets into the land and, and, and God says, hey, this is going to be yours. He, he begins to worship the Lord. He builds altars uh, in, in an amazing way right beside these areas where idolatry would have been happening. And it's just as if to say, this will be the Lord's. The Lord is the one true God. And he does that. And, and it, there's this, this great, this, this great, like, Lord, you are good. Look at this man. He's doing, he's doing so well. But then there's a famine, and he starts to kind of reason in his own mind, and he, and he goes down to Egypt, and he says to his wife, hey, say you're my sister, because, um, because you know, in my thinking, this will be the safest for all of us. They won't kill me because you're so pretty, uh, you know, so, so that, let's just say you're, you're my sister. If they ask about whether or not uh, they can marry you, then I'll know, hey, they're interested, and we can get out of here. But Pharaoh takes interest. It looks like God's covenant that he's made with Abram's at, at, at in jeopardy. But God is gracious, and, and he puts plagues upon uh, the Egyptians, and, and they leave in shame. But last week, we see that Abram found his way back. He, he started to retrace his old past. He went back to his former place of worship and once again called on the name of the Lord. And that's just such an encouragement for all of us. When we're in sin, God is gracious, but we need to turn from our sin. We need to repent and go back to him. And then another crisis turns, like pretty much every chapter, guess what? It's going to be a new, new crisis, new problem, like kind of like our lives, right? doesn't like, oh, I, I got through my trial for my life. That was hard, you know, but I'm through it now. No, it's just many, many trials. And, and so but this time in the trial, we just see his faith exude. And, and, and he's no longer focused on self. His focus is on God and his promises. And in doing so, he's very benevolent towards his nephew, his nephew Lot, very selfish. And he chooses a land that he thinks, oh, this is going to be so prosperous. And in doing so, in his selfishness, and in his blindness to, to the spiritual depravity around him, he puts himself and his family in jeopardy. And we're going to see that highlighted this week. 
Last week we've seen uh, Abraham, what I called his way back. This way we see his way forward as he continues to live out his faith in the Lord. We're going to see that it requires him to be courageous. And I want us to hear that this morning. If you're going to live your life for the Lord, you will need courage. It says in Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage. All who wait for the Lord. Every single one of us need to have courage if we're going to follow the Lord. And so that's going to be the example we're going to learn from Abram this morning. But before we do, let me just pray for us and we're going to get into the text together. Lord God, we, we do love you. So thankful, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for Abram. Thank you for choosing him and, and making him your servant and making your covenant with him. And Lord, we're learning so much as we study his life. Lord, we, we're learning so much about who you are. You're faithful even when we're faithless. Lord, you are the God who is sovereign and powerful and your ways are always done. Everything you promise will happen. Despite the world raging against you, despite uh, the enemy, Satan, railing against you, God, you are always the victor. And so, God, we come this morning with expectation. God, we come asking, God, that you would teach us and lead us. Lord, we want to become more and more like you. Lord, this morning there's some of us here who, when we think about our faith, courage is not the name we would have for it. Some of us are weak in our faith. Some of us are struggling in our faith. And I pray this morning as we look at the example of Abram, that, Lord, you would renew our faith, that, Lord, you would strengthen our faith, and that, Lord, we would leave here with our eyes fixed upon you, waiting on you, taking courage and being strong, God, for your glory and for your honor. That's what we're praying for this morning, Jesus. So lead this preacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody needs a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. We're going to be looking at Genesis 14. You know, maybe you don't have a Bible. Just keep the Bible they're going to give to you. If you uh, um, have one and you just forgot it, we'll just snag one anyways. We want to look together at Genesis 14. There's going to be a little bit here where you may think I'm speaking a different language. Um, I'm going to do my best to say some of these names here. Again, there's some, uh, you know... On a normal day, I have trouble pronouncing normal words, never mind these ones. But we'll do, the, do what we can here. But let's read together. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Alasar, Kader Lamor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim. These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zoboihim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, all, and all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Cato Lamer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Cato Lamer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephraim in Ashtoreth. Karanim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavakarathim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Enmeshpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amicalites and all the Amorites who were dwelling in Harazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zoboihim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they, ba- they joined battle in the battle of Siddim with Cater Le- Lamor, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Gohim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Erech, king of Alasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. 
than one who had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brothers of Eshcol and of Anar. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Cadalamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anner, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share. Right now. You may be like me after you read that. You're like, okay. <laughs> that was Monday. I'm like, okay, Lord, that's cool. That's great. What, what should we learn from this? And, and, and I want to, you know, is it any surprise by Sunday? Like, my heart is full, and I can't wait for us to all learn this together. But all who wait on the Lord need to say that we live in a broken world. All who wait on the Lord need to see that we live in a broken world. It's, it's been this way since the fall, and it will continue to be that way until Christ returns. As we look at the time of Abram, we've already learned that, it was, that the world is full of idolatry. Everybody's kind of making up their gods. Abram's god was a moon god, right? He worshiped the moon god. They had these sacrifices to these gods. That's kind of all over the world at this time. Uh, it is a place, as we've seen in this text, a place full of violence, People walking in rebellion against God. Uh, we see that, that um, in verse 13 of chapter 13 that the men of Sodom, they're wicked. They're great sinners against the Lord. And then in these first 12 verses, we get to just kind of see the state of affairs in the world at that time. It's really interesting that Moses, as he's writing about these things, is like, this is what was going on in the world. It'd be no different than flipping on the news and saying, hey, uh, Russia is coming against Ukraine, and then there's this Belarus thing, and there's that. And like, that's what's going on here. He's just describing there's these four kings, and, and they're coming from modern, well, we're, where, we, where we're today, we have modern day Iran, Iraq, and Turkey. That's where these three, uh, four kings are coming from, two from Turkey, one from the area of Iran, one from Iraq, and they come together and they basically just beat up on everybody that they choose. That, that, that's what you should get out of these first 12 verses. They're unstoppable. Uh, apparently, as we read this text, they had already been through before. This Cato Lamar guy, which I, I did do a little study as to how to say his name since I was going to have to say it a thousand times, okay? We'll just call him Cade from now on, okay? And, and so... He, he's kind of, he's already been through, and what would happen in those days, you would come through, you would defeat them, and in order for them to not come and just continue to pound on you, you would send tribute to them. And so we read here, they've been doing that for 12 years, and in the 13th year, like, we're tired of this, we're not doing it anymore, we're not going to give you any more of our stuff, too bad. And hoping probably, like, they're a long ways away, hopefully they're not going to come back again. But... We see in the 14th year, they come back. And, and they trace this path. I'm going to have Matthew put up on the map just to kind of help us a little bit as to um, where these guys were coming from. So up in the upper right there, that's these guys coming in from their two different directions. And you can see ultimately they're going to wind up at Sodom and Gomorrah. But what they're going to do first is they're going to take out anybody who they could possibly call upon. 
right? This is their strategy. And, and the, that first enemy, uh, as they hit them, they're, they're one of the strongest enemies that they could possibly have, and they just kind of mow through them. They don't have any problem. They go all the way down south, right, right almost to where Egypt would be, and then they go back up again, and they take on Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the whole point of this is, as they go through, there's no one that can stop them. Like they pretty much have their way. And as they come to, to fight these, these five kings, four against five kings in this Jordan Valley, it's kind of a foregone conclusion what's going to happen here. Right? And, and it, the, the, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a massacre. And these guys are fleeing. It's so chaotic that they are, there's some who are dying because they are fleeing from the sword and they're falling into these tar pits is another way we could put it. They're falling into these tar pits and dying in these tar pits. And, and so they're just, they're just fleeing. And they, they were told that after these four kings had quickly dispatched to them, we read in verse 11, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. And Sodom's selfish choice is not turning out well for him. And the leadership that he has placed himself under is proved to be cowardly and weak. Like how much are you going to fight if the leader of your army is fleeing, right? And that's the picture we see here. These guys are just taken off. They, 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 they're, like, they're, they're, they're like really brave for like three seconds and then they're gone. Lot's eyes that had led him to choose what he believed would give him riches has resulted in him being held captive now. And with all his possessions, his precious possessions that he had, that he was so, so fixated on and wanted to live in this rich land. And boy, this is going to be a great thing. And now he's been taken captive. And did you catch it? Who can stop these guys? Nobody. So he has the expectation that he will be in bondage for the rest of his life. That's what his expectation is. Nobody can free him. That, that's, what, that's what the text is telling us. That's the despair he would have had. Can you imagine the horror that he's seen around him? The, 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 the prospect of what's my life going to be? What are they going to do with my family? Like, I, I can't imagine what this guy was going through, but this is some of the things that he would have been thinking. Who can save this captive? Well, the world we live in today is not violent, right? Is that true? On the world we live in, I mean, this could have been on the news last night. There's wars, rumors of wars. Every week it seems like there's a, a new skirmish somewhere. That's the world we live in. Even in a free country like Canada, we're not free from violence. I've seen, it's like, it's like, how many murders were in Calgary last year? 26 murders in Calgary last year. Suicides. Our government's kind of getting along with that program now, helping people commit suicide. Abortions abuse, like this world is still a broken place. It's full of sin. And physically, around our world, there are many hardships and burdens that people face. I mean, on a physical level, it's, it's heartbreaking. When you, when you hear about all the, the, the atrocities that are happening on a daily basis. But as bad as that is, the recognition and the realization that they are also ensnared and enslaved in sin that will result in eternal separation from God is even worse. It says in John 8, 34, Jesus answered the Pharisees, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Lot had been taken as captive. He's a servant. He's a slave now to these kings. But you and I, all at one time, were slaves of sin. Our situation was no different than Lot's. We were hopeless. We were helpless. Who would save sinners like us? Does Lot need, like, listen, does Lot need to, like, does he deserve to be saved? 
I mean, he chose this place, didn't he? He's a big boy. That, that could have been Abram's response. Could have been God's response to us. You all walked in rebellion. I made a perfect world. I created every single one of you. I knit you together. I gave you the breath of life, yet you walked in rebellion against me? Too bad. You're lost forever. You are slaves to sin forever. That's what he could have done. But praise God, he didn't. All who wait on the Lord see that our faith requires acts of courage. Our faith requires acts of courage. Who could save Lot? Well, We've already read the text. We see Abram comes on the scene. Verse 13, one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. He, apparently this guy knew Lot and, and had got to know him a little bit and knew about this uncle who lived across over the way. And, and, he, and so he escapes and goes and tells him what's happened. He's called the Hebrew. This is the first time he's called the Hebrew. Most likely because his ancestor, uh, where he came from, there was a, a, an ancestor by the name of Eber. And so, in no different than Mamre the Amorite, this is Abram who comes from Eber. Okay, he's just kind of telling us where they're from. And he's still living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite. Right? And then there's these brothers, Eshkel and Aner. He's probably still there. Why? Because these guys are friends now. Right? They're allied together. Wasn't that a nice place to settle down in a world like full of violence? Hey, they're not trying to kill us. Let's be in this place for a while. Right? So that's why they've kind of settled down with the tents here. And there's this allied thing going on. And then it says, When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Well, there's a lot of questions we have probably from this verse, and not probably many answers. Oh, that's what I've been able to find. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I'm always inquisitive. Like, for example, who are these 318 men, right? Anybody else wondering that? And obviously, he's got means. He's got riches. And, and these are people who are his servants, and they are having babies. And as these children are born in his house, under his care, there, there's 318 of them have been trained. Why, why do you need 318 men to be trained in security? Did you catch what's going on in this world? Like everybody's killing each other. So if you want to protect yourself, you better train some guys. So they got these 318 men. Uh, by the way, these four kings would have far greater army than 318 men, in case we're wondering. Okay, uh, The odds would be severely stacked against them. And, and, and yet, Abram's like, let's go. Now, let's be honest. How many of you would do this? I've already kind of uh, tipped my hand a little bit. You know, what, what Abram could have thought about his nephew Lot, right? I mean, Lot had shown his heart. He was a selfish guy. He, 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 he was hoping that he was getting the best, and I don't really care about Abram. <laughs> I don't care what he gets. I want what's best. And so that, that's where his heart was at. But Abram loves his nephew. He cares for him. And so in faith, he doesn't care about the odds being stacked against him. I mean, think about how much Abram's changed. Going into Egypt, hey, say you're my sister, okay? In case you'd come after me. Now, He's going after these four kings who've just mowed through how much of the world? You ever seen that map? Okay. Like those guys are like world conquerors and, and he's like, let's go. Let's go get my nephew. So Abram goes and we're told that Mamre and his brothers, they go too. And we want to put that map up one more time, Matthew. And, and, and these guys, they travel 250 kilometers uh, to get from Hebron to get to Dan, all right? So you can see on the left there, you see Abram's home just on the corner of the water there. And then they go up to Dan. That's about 250K. That's how far they pursue these guys. And as they get there, because they're smaller, they got to have a strategy, 
right? They can't hit him all head on in the day. And so what we're told in verse 15, they divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus, okay? So that's another 160K, right? So, I mean, these guys are going a long ways. This is not like it was over in a day, right? Like they're not, they're not on, you know, military vehicles of today, right? This is all on foot, swords, and, and they go and, and pursue them another 160 kilometers. But as they do, the reason that, that seems likely that, that why they're pursuing them is because what? We haven't got to Lot yet, right? I got I to gotta get to my nephew. That's why they're pursuing him. That's why this battle started with, in the first place, it wasn't for his own personal glory or his own personal gain. It's to get his nephew to rescue the captive out of captivity. And then it says in verse 16, then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. All right, so Lot didn't just, you know, it wasn't like a special prisoner, all right? We're being told here there were women, there were other people who were been taken prisoner. And, he, and, and after winning this victory against these four kings, he brings all the stuff with him. All right? Now, do you think that took courage for Abram to do this? Do you think it took faith for Abram to do this? Yeah, 100%, right? I mean, we, the, the, the writers of Scripture sometimes don't give us all the emotions going on, right? Like, and he trembled, you know, as he, you know, like we're not told, you know, it, it, we, all we know is that they're facing a mighty enemy, and yet because of his faith in God and his love for his nephew, he pursues these guys and he wins the victory. Now, I just think, and I was thinking about this text this week, like, God calls you and I to have courageous faith. Now, likely, you're not going to have to rally your troops and go pursue someone uh, and save them in a physical, military way, right? I, I could be crazy, but it seems like that's not too likely. Maybe after my generation, maybe some of you younger folks will do that. I don't know. But spiritually speaking, God calls us all to do that. I was thinking about this nephew Lot. I mentioned this last week. Peter tells us he's, he's righteous, that he is a believer, and yet, man, this guy, he just makes bad decisions over and over and over again. He's ensnared in his sin is how I would look at this guy. In the faith, but ensnared in his sin. And so we think about what Jesus said. If one of the sheep goes astray, and you got 100 sheep, you leave the 99, you go after that sheep. And, I, and this is really this picture of what we see here with Abram. He's going after his, his nephew Lot so that he might be saved out of his captivity. And, and if you and I see a brother or sister ensnared in their sin, God calls us to go after them, to, to, to challenge them, to say, hey, repent of your sin. Let, let me help you and, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of this in captivity to sin that you're in right now that you continue to ensnare yourself in. Let's walk together. Does that take courage or not? What do you think? Has anybody tried that and it didn't turn out too well for you in your relationship with that person? they just as well spit in your face, right, and tell you to get lost because they don't like your help right now, right? That happens. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not perfect. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm not perfect, and I really, you know, maybe I should just let them be. And Well, no, if you see a brother or sister in need, you go. Number one, repent of your own sin. Okay, nobody's perfect here. We're not in heaven. Sorry. Okay, so I know you all have sin, but be walking in holiness. Amen. Right? And then when you do sin, you repent and you turn back. But, yeah, Go and help your brother and sister. That's, what, that's why we have the body of Christ, to help one another. And so God calls us to do that. But then God also calls us to go and help those who are enslaved in their sin. 
And, and we live in a world, not unlike Abram's, where, where people are not going to necessarily take kindly to you in trying to help them out of their enslavement. When you proclaim the good news, not, not everybody's going to be like, hey, thank you. Praise God. I'm so thankful you told me I'm a sinner. I'm so thankful you told me I need to turn away from that and turn to your God. Thank you. Like, not often do you get that reaction. More times than not, again, you're like, they're, they're coming after you because who are you, right? But God calls us to have courage. That's why Paul, the apostle, says, pray for me, that I would proclaim the word as I ought to. If the great apostle Paul asked for prayer, you and I need prayer. And let us pray for one another that as we leave this building, that God would help us to go and rescue the captives. Because not everybody is going to be antagonistic against you. God has still somebody out there. I know for sure there's one person to get saved. Why do I know that? Because he's not back yet. When everyone has heard and they are saved, then Christ will return. So we must go together. But it will take courage. If only we had an example of courage. Well, we have Abram. But think of our Lord. Did he not show courage in leaving the throne and coming and living on this earth? Doing so much more than Abram's just done for Lot. He came to a rebellious Lot like us who were shaking our fists at him and he laid down his life for you and I that we might be rescued out of our captivity. Like we go out and we proclaim the good news because we have been set free. Because we are now following the one who sets the captives free. And so because we follow him, because he's done it for us, we want others to know the same thing. And so let us walk in courageous faith for the glory of God. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4.8. Ephesians 4.8, therefore it says of Christ, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. MacArthur commenting on this verse, he says this, through his crucifixion and resurrection, Christ conquered Satan and death and in triumph returned to God those who were once sinners and prisoners of Satan. Christ has come and set us free from death, set us free from our sins, set us free from Satan. And we who are free can now go and proclaim that all who are lost, all who are enslaved may be set free through Jesus Christ. This is our joy. This is our privilege. Thirdly, all who wait on the Lord need to see that our faith requires acts of courage that produces worship, that produces worship. Anytime we see any captive set free, we ought to praise the Lord. That should be, our, that, that should be our, 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 our automatic reaction is to give him praise. And we see this pretty fascinating worship time in these next few verses here. Verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Cato Lamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, and... Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now, this Melchizedek guy, he's a mystery, right? He really is. It's, it's pretty fascinating, this guy. So fascinating. Some people are like, is this the pre-incarnate Christ? Is this who this guy is? Because the way that the Hebrews 7 talks about him, he's just like, without beginning or end, right? Now, he was a real guy. He was a king of Salem that really later becomes Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem. This is where this guy's from. He's a priest and a king. And what he's here for is to point us towards a future priest and king who will be Jesus Christ. He is, to, he is what Psalm 110 says. Uh, talks about, uh, where, where David is saying, hey, there's one who's coming after me. He will be a king, but he will also be a priest. 
Ross talking about this says, under divine inspiration, David foresaw that his royal descendant will be both his lord and a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not, not through the Levitical priesthood, but this priesthood, one that will be so much more superior to that priesthood. A, a priesthood where, where there's one sacrifice once and for all, where the high priest sits at the right hand of God and intercedes on our behalf. This is, this, this is what this guy is pointing us to. And so he comes, he brings some bread and wine, and we're told that he is priest of God most high. Uh, Ross talks about this. He says the role, his role as our high priest is greater than the Aaronic priest, talking about Jesus, because he made the perfect sacrifice, entered into the heavenly sanctuary, and remains forever making intercession for us. The writer of Hebrews, if you want to just do a little study this week, it's pretty fascinating, Hebrews 7, talks all about this whole incident. The writer of Hebrews saw the superiority of the line of Melchizedek already in the fact that Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek, the only person on earth considered to be his spiritual superior. And so he comes, this king, he brings bread and wine. Why? For a refreshment. They've just had a crazy, hard battle. This is what royalty received He's being treated like a king in many ways here. And so he brings us bread and wine for his refreshment. But he's not just coming with physical blessings. He's coming with spiritual blessings. Note verse 19. And Melchizedek blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. I mean, how encouraged was Abram when he heard these words? Pretty, a pretty lonely world, right, when it came to the faith, right? And, and here's this guy who comes and he's like, hey, this guy, this guy gets it. He's not coming to bless me by the moon god or whatever. Like, he, he's coming in the name of what? The possessor of heaven and earth. That's the God he worships. God most high. Can I just encourage you guys to use those phrases in your prayer life this the coming week? Isn't that like to set the whole trajectory of your prayer time? Who are you coming to when you pray? God most high. He who is over everyone and everything. He is so much greater than everyone. He is God most high. And he is the possessor of heaven and earth. He's not just the guy who said, hey, here's an earth. Boo. Live on it. No, he owns it all. He owns it all. The fact that he's a creator is also the fact that he is also the sustainer and he is the Lord over all creation. And so when you have whatever you're facing this week and you come to him and say, Lord, possessor of heaven and earth, my problem seems super big right now, but I know you're so much greater. And so I'm giving it to you. I, Lord, I'm, I'm your servant I don't know what you want from this, but Lord, I'm, I'm casting this burden upon you knowing that you care for me and that you're gonna carry me through this. Like, isn't that, isn't that a sweet reminder that he is who he says he is? And so Abram is encouraged. He, he said, hey, just like it said in Genesis 12, well, he didn't say quite like that, Genesis 12, uh, but he did say, in the same way that God has said you will be blessed, you will be blessed. He has just blessed you. Remember that promise he made in Genesis 12 that, that anybody who comes against you, they will be taken out? That's just what's happened here. You are blessed. And then Melchizedek praises God. Why? Because he is the one who took out the armies. How did they do it? Oh, was this a strategy? These guys were like Navy SEALs. You know, like they had this training program and it was incredible and that's not what it's saying here. It's saying God won the victory. How in the world did they beat these four kings who just took out half the world? Because of God. And this is just like, like if you're just kind of getting into your Bible reading, this is just a preview. God just says over and over and over again. Remember Gideon? Hey, 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 you got way too many guys. Get the army smaller. Okay. Get down to what? 300 guys. Interesting, huh? Get down to 300 guys. Okay, now you're ready. Why? Why does he do that? Because who gets the glory? 
Does any of that, the, the Gideon's forces, does, 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 does Abram think that he's like this, this master military guy now? Like, no, he's like, God gets the glory. He's the one who did it. Israel, when they're supposed to go into the promised land, what do they see? They see the enemies. They're so huge. They're so big. We can't beat them. There's too many of them. And that generation, what? Dies in the wilderness. But the generation is like, God is the one who's the victor. He is the one who will take us in. It's not about us. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And then you get to Jericho, right? Joshua 2. And, and, and what's Rahab say? Yeah, everybody knows your God's fighting for you. <laughs> they're, 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 again, even the enemies are like, it's not about them. It's about the God that we're fighting. We can't beat him. He gets the glory as he ought to. And so I want to just encourage us any time we think about the fact that we have been set free, that we would just drop to our knees and worship. God, you alone are worthy. What, what, did I, what, did I, what did I supply? What did I bring to the table? My sin. That's all I brought to the table was my sin. I did not deserve to be set free. I did not deserve your salvation. So I will worship you and I will serve you for all of eternity with great joy and with thankfulness for you are worthy. Some of you have been praying for a mom, for a dad, for an uncle, for a, for a child for a long, long time. And I want to encourage you this morning. God is greater than their sin. I don't know. I just keep, I keep sharing and it keeps getting worse. They just seem more and more antagonistic against God. Sometimes it has to get worse so that God gets the glory. And so let's just, in faith, continue to trust our God. The enemy, Satan, sin, they're not greater than our God. And so continue to cry out to the Lord in faith to him be the glory. And then we'll get to worship together when that relative, that coworker, that neighbor gets saved. To him be the glory. It's always about him. Lastly, all who wait on the Lord needs to see that our faith requires acts of courage that produces worship as we resist friendship with the world. As we resist friendship with the world. So there's this Sodom king hanging out, watching this worship service. What's he do? What should he have done? Should have been down on his knees saying, look, I was fleeing. I just barely avoided the tar pit. And, 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 and you just, your God just won the victory. You guys are worshiping this God. How do I know him? How do I, how do I come to, to serve this God? I, I thought Abram had won the victory, but you're telling me your, your God did it. How can I serve that God? Is that what happens? That's not what happens. And in the foreshadowing of what's going to happen in chapter 19, isn't it again a great reminder of our God's grace and mercy to sinners? I mean, this is another opportunity for this guy to get his life right before the Lord. But he doesn't. Nor does anybody who's with Abram, not even Lot, says, hey, we're done. Hey, I'm done following the king of Sodom and his ways. I want to go back and sit under Yahweh and, and be with you, Abram. I'll, I'll, I'll pick a, a piece of land a little further away. We'll, we'll work it out with the servants saying, but I want to follow your leadership. I want to follow the promises of God. But he doesn't. So this king of Sodom kind of struts himself. What, what, did, what, did, what did the king of Salem say? He said, blessed be this guy says, give me, give me. That's his first words. Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Is this guy in a position of authority in any way? Uh, no, 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 no way. But he thinks he is. And he thinks he's being super benevolent here, right? Just give me the persons. You keep all the stuff. Like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good guy, you know. And uh, I think this is the way it should be. But he's being used of Satan. Because Abram 
could have been tempted to say, you know, you know what? I did win that victory. I, I did take those people out. It, it is right that I would take the stuff. Besides, if I give it to Sodom, what's he going to do with it? Spend it on his wickedness? Cause, you know, make more wickedness in the world through all his possessions? Like, no thanks. I'll take care of it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do good things with this money. But Abram knows his own heart. And, and I love how he is so adamant to go against this. Listen, listen to the way he puts it. But Abram said to this king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, again, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap, or anything that's yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. God alone is going to get the glory, Sodom. He alone will be the one who, who, who is, makes me rich. You're going to have nothing to do with it. His whole motivation for resisting this is so that God alone would get the glory and that this Sodomite would not be able to say anything about what he has done. He deserves zero glory. Walkie puts it like this. In an anti-climax to this tremendous scene of worship, the pagan king of Sodom, speaking disrespectfully to Abram, tries to assert his non-existent authority and tempt Abram with the plunder. But the faithful Abram cannot be dissuaded from glorifying God. That's what's at stake here. He is, he is saying, I will follow the Lord alone. I will cling to him in his word alone. I do not want anything to do with you or the things of this world. And this is a challenge to all of us here this morning. We ought not to want anything to do with worldly wisdom or the ways of this world, the riches of this world. We, are, we are, have our focus set upon the Lord God, his word, and his promises. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I don't want, I don't want it just a little bit of a, a toe in the world. We all, again, I, I've just been thinking about this these last two weeks. There's a lot of people, I think even in this room, you want, you want Abram and the world. I, 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 want, I want as much as this stuff in this world as I can get now. I want to I wanna have a nice this and a nice that, and, I, and I, I'm kind of focused on my thing. God, I'm, I, get, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm glad you're there. I'm, I, I really like salvation in heaven, that's going to be great. But I got my own thing right now. And, and, and I, I'm praying that God would wake us out of that because you're going to be ensnared in the ways of the world. You're going to be, you, like heads up, chapter 19, doesn't turn out well for Lot and his family. His wife is dead and his daughters are messed, right? Spiritually speaking, he has devastated his family through his choices. I guess he still gets into heaven, but, but not great. Why, why would we put ourselves through that and not rather follow after the Lord God and see him use us to set captives free? Like that, that's far better. To, to walk with God as Enoch walked with God. That, that's the life I want to live. I pray that that's the life you want to live. And when you live that way, guess what? You're super benevolent. You're super generous because you're not clinging to everything. We've already seen he give 10%. Ironically, he tithes on behalf of Sodom. <laughs> all right? he, gives, he gives 10% to God because he's recognizing, yeah, God, give me the victory. It's all for him. And, and so he gives them that. But for the rest, verse 24, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the, the share of the men who went with me, let Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Like these guys, let them be taken care of. 
And when you're following the Lord, that's, 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 that's what happens. When you have your focus set on him, you are free to give and be generous with everything you have because you're serving the King of kings and Lord of lords and you're already filled to the full because you have a walk with him. And so in conclusion, all who wait on the Lord need to see that first we all live in a broken world, that our faith requires acts of courage, that produces worship as resist friendship with the world. I just want to close with this thought by Ross. Devout believers order their lives so that they know that all their successes, joys, comforts, and prosperity come from God. So every morning you wake up, say, God, my life is yours. I, I, I want to you to be honored. I want you to be glorified in my life. Here's my, here's my anxiety. Here's my worries today. God, here's what I need help with. God, uh, I'm asking that you would use me to set the slaves free, to set the captives free. I, I'm here. And anything that happens at the end of the day, you say, what? Praise God. Because you gave it all to him. And so you, you, you know that the glory goes to him. And it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. So thankful for this time together in your word. So rich, Lord, so full. So many challenges in this text. God, I pray for us as a people. God, we, we want to bring honor and glory to you. God, our, our situation is desperate. Lord, left to ourselves, Lord, we would be ensnared, we would be enslaved in our sin, we would never be set free. But God, because of Christ, we have now been set free, not so that we might sin, but that so we might serve you. So Lord, may we be slaves of righteousness. Lord, may we be servants of you. Lord, that as, as we go out from this place, Lord, we would be quick to proclaim freedom through Jesus Christ. Lord, so many hurting people. Lord, help us to have eyes to see. Lord, I pray for boldness for my brothers and sisters in here this morning. God, I pray for help. Lord, that you would help them to walk in holiness and then, Lord, live with courage as they live out their faith. Lord, for your honor, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.